0: Well, Welcome visitors, friends, family. Um, good to see everybody here on Saturday. Um, my name's Dave. I'm one of the elders here at Alamo Stone. Um, I know there's a few new faces in the group, so I just wanted to introduce myself. Um, our pastor is in the front here, uh, Wes Flynn. He's allowed me to speak tonight. If I can be real with y'all, speaking is not my first love, so um, this is one of those things that I do because as an elder we're called to teach and we're called to be able to teach. And so um, and I love to give him a spell when he can so he can uh, sit there and worship with his family. Uh, but tonight it's a little different because um, what we are doing this summer is some of us are um, given the opportunity to speak on our favorite passages. And so I was actually pretty excited uh, to speak about this one tonight. This is Romans chapter 8. So if you don't have a Bible, I think we may have some somewhere. Um, Jason is standing right there. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, he can get you one. Or Pulling up on your phone. So we're going to go through the whole thing. Um, we're going to walk through it line by line. I've got some, some uh, quotes from some really great folks who, who've expressed things in a way that I, I can't really express. But I also wanted to share some of my testimony. Um, basically, in the military, there's something called bluff. Does anybody know what bluff stands for? Any military folk here? BLUF? It means bottom line up front. It's like cut to the chase. What's most important? Um, I became a Christian at the age of 20. I grew up in a Catholic background, but not really a one that uh, encouraged a relationship with Christ. It was a little more about rules and following the traditions of the church, which you know, in and of themselves, not necessarily bad. But we were missing the bottom line up front in my family, I I believe. And uh, when I went to college. I came to knowledge of Christ. I came to knowledge of the bottom line up front, the truth. Um, and really, that changed my life. And one of the, the chapters in the Bible that spoke to me the most was this one, Romans chapter 8. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's written by the Apostle Paul, um, who was a converted himself from a life of, really, he was a guy that... Um, attacked Christians. He was a Jew at the time, which, you know, at the time he was very um, adamant about following the Jewish traditions, the Jewish faith, and um, he was very good at it. He was, he was basically the guy that was bringing down a lot of Christians in the day, and then on the road to a town called Damascus, uh, Jesus actually presented himself to him and said, um, you know, why are you persecuting me? At that point, um, uh, back then he was known as Saul, but Paul now um, became one of the greatest uh, authors of the Bible and um, most prolific. And he speaks today in chapter 8 about uh, the Holy Spirit. So, Wes, you talked about chapter 7 a few weeks ago. And I was—I either wasn't here or I was teaching kids church or something. So I, got, I missed what you talked about, but I'd imagine that probably one of the themes that you brought up was the law and how it the old law, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law uh, that people were under before Christ and how it just was absolutely devastating to us. Um, it just, it's basically impossible to, um, to follow. And that's kind of the point as we'll see as we go through chapter eight. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through it verse by verse. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull them out. Um, One thing that I want to note is that the Holy Spirit is only mentioned uh, once in the first seven chapters of Romans. And it's mentioned nearly 20 times in chapter 8. And the Holy Spirit, for those of you who may not be aware, is basically God. God is in three persons, God the the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus actually refers to Him as the Spirit of Truth. And so the Spirit of Truth is what we receive as Christians Um, And that spirit joins with us, which we'll go through details. Um, So first, we're going to look at verses one through four. And I've got a couple different versions here. So I'm kind of picking and choosing what I'm what I'm reading to you. But um, verse one through four says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let's break that down. Verse 1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, Some people said this is the most hopeful verse in all of scripture, because throughout all of history, condemnation is something that has followed man from basically, as soon as man set foot on earth, the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. And back then you didn't have the Mosaic law, you didn't have the Torah, any of the books of the Old Testament, you didn't have the traditions, you didn't have the social laws, you didn't have the moral laws, you didn't even have the 10 commandments. Really you had, don't eat from the tree, knowledge of good and evil. And they broke that law. And from that point on, we've been under this law of condemnation. Um, But what we're talking about here is those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for us. So this is a huge change. Uh, The Greek word is, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this, katakrima, And it's condemnation. And it only occurs in the book of Romans. It's here and in chapter 5. And although it relates to the sentencing for a crime, its primary focus is not really so much on the verdict as on the penalty that the verdict demands. So as Paul has already declared, the penalty or the condemnation for the sin is death in chapter 6, verse 23. Paul here announces the marvelous good news that for Christians, there will be no condemnation, neither sentencing nor punishment for the sins that believers have committed or will ever commit. That's pretty amazing. We are not condemned by evidence. We are declared righteous. We stand in his grace, as said in Romans chapter 5. We're not under his wrath, and we possess eternal life. Again, chapter 5. Uh, Hebrews says, For by one offering he, meaning Christ, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Um, now we may be out of condemnation, but we're not removed from discipline because that's one one key thing we're going to look at is well, now that we're not condemned, does God still discipline us, and is there any penalty at all? And you'll look in Hebrews chapter twelve; um, it does say that who in the Lord loves, He disciplines. And so the concept of sin is something that's it's very difficult to. Uh, to describe. And as I was preparing this message, and it's my favorite chapter, I thought, oh, this is going to be so easy. I'm just going to go off of what I've been living my whole life. And I started digging into it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so deep. How do I, how do I not go too deep? How do I, how do I just talk about this to where we can all have a conversation and, and get something out of it today and, and, um, and be encouraged. Because really the, the main purpose of reading Romans chapter eight is to be encouraged. The main message is hope. The main message is that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I think that's the bottom line up front. Uh, Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So now we're talking about the law. And there's a lot of of interpretation and opinions on what, what is discussed Uh, in the New Testament when the concept of the law is brought up. Um, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the New Testament law. That's what is uh, written about um, also in Galatians. If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Actually, that's talking about the law of sin and death. That's the law of the old. And there was the natural law given to uh, Adam and Eve. There was the Mosaic law. Um, there was the interpretation that the Jews had of the law. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you'll remember, he corrected a lot of the interpretations of the law that were going around. Like, for, for instance, he said, well, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, any man who's looked at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. So there were, there were things going on. There were interpretations of the law that the jews were making there were assumptions they were making and jesus took that opportunity to say look these laws in the uh mosaic law they're they're not wrong it's just you guys are interpreting it wrong you guys are taking it and making it uh for you're twisting it for your advantage you're looking for loopholes um and so that law in and of itself is multifaceted over time it changed the adam and during adam and eve's time we didn't have the mosaic law during Noah, we didn't have it, but we had um, the covenant that, um, that God would never flood the earth again. Um, and so, as time went on, the concept of the law, the the, the manifestation of it, morphed over time. But in and, in and all of itself, it still had the same purpose. And it wasn't to justify us because we couldn't fulfill it. There was over, what, 600 or something mosaic laws uh, between... Moral laws like the Ten Commandments, social laws, and ceremonial laws. Um, things that, are ha- that happen certain parts of your life or certain parts of the year. Uh, there were all these laws that, that were meant to be followed. Um, and in verse 2, it's pretty clear. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Um, and here, sin is compared in opposition to the spirit. Um, So what does that mean for us? Where where is that new law? Where does it reside? And if you look at Hebrews chapter 8, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them upon their hearts. So there's not a matrix. I was kind of looking. What I was trying to do was say, okay, I used to be an engineer, right? You put the spreadsheet together and you say over here, okay, here's the Old Testament laws, all right? You know, up at the top we'll put, you know, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And down here we'll say, okay, don't kill, don't steal. And then down here we'll say, okay, uh, you're not allowed in the camp whenever something happens or what have you. All these 600 laws here. And I was looking in the New Testament. Okay, can I map this over? And it's not really clear. And the more I studied it, the more I looked into it, I was like, you know what? I think that we have to take this as um, as really um we have to look at the spirit now because if Jesus didn't give us a matrix, I'm not going to create one for you, church. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to look at what's, what's actually said here and what's focused on. And the bottom line is the spirit. And the, and the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has a law, and it's written on our hearts. And that's all I can tell you. So we're going to move forward with that thought. All right. Um, and if you want to know more about the Mosaic Law, i got a lot more notes on that. If, you're, if you come to Chick-fil-A and you want to ask a bunch of questions. <laughs> but I'm going to move on. Uh, verse 3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. So because God sent his own son to redeem mankind by providing the only sacrifice that can condemn and remove their sin, the requirement of the law is able to be fulfilled in us, the believers. So sending the son in the likeness of sinful flesh was a requirement because God required an offering. God required his justice to be met. Um, The law could not do that. It, we're going we're to just say, okay, if I say the word the law, let's just say, we can even just say the first commandment, which is, does anybody know the first commandment, most important one? No other gods before me, God's number one. And how many of us have put something else in front of God at one point in our life or another? I think we all could raise our hand to that. So forget the 600 and something laws, that first one just tripped us all up. So if I say the law, let's just say the old law, that one, you know, we'll just simplify it. You're not allowed to talk while I'm talking. <laughs> but that was, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, bring it on, man. If y'all, if y'all want to, if y'all want to shout out amen or, uh, or have a question, just feel free. This is a, uh, this is a family here, um, So, the spiritual Christian knows that God's law is holy, righteous, and good. And that includes all the laws in the Old Testament. And that he has been saved in order to have that divine holiness, righteousness, and goodness fulfilled in him. And that is our desire, that we have holy longings. Um, Wow. Um, The phrase, who do not walk according to the flesh... um, What that means is, according to the Spirit, it is not an admonition, but a statement of fact that applies to all believers. And as Paul explains a little bit later, no person who belongs to Christ is without the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's talked about in verse 9. Being indwelt by the Spirit is not a mark of special maturity or spirituality, but it's just the mark of every true Christian. And as we go through here, we're going to see that it's, About some things, we're not quite sure. It's not very clear. You know, Jesus didn't give us a matrix. But in some things, it's extremely clear. And in this chapter, more than pretty much any other chapter, I see a clear demarcation between some people are Christians, some people are part of the family of God, and we can have our hope in that. And the rest of the world is not. It's one or the other. You can't be somewhere in between. You can't move to Christianity and then back out again. We'll we'll talk about that more in detail. Verse 4 said, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. So here we're talking about something called sanctification, which is moving more towards being like Christ. It's, It's basically walking according to the Spirit. Apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, in the lives of Christians, human efforts at righteousness are contaminated and useless as filthy garments. That's actually out of Isaiah chapter sixty four. But because the Christian has been cleansed of sin and been given God's own divine nature with him, he now longs for and is able to live a life of holiness. So, at the second part of verse 4, it says, We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You may look at Christians and say, Well, some of y'all are living that life and some of y'all aren't, or some of y'all live it more than others. And that's kind of true. I mean, there's, and as far as outwardly appearance, and is one person, you know, in our opinion, more holy or. You know, I see some Christians, people I know are Christians that have turned away and just they're, they're lost for a time. But that doesn't take away the fact that they are Christian. Um, I feel like there is a um, there's a thought that, well, maybe that person wasn't a Christian to begin with. Now, if a person only God knows the heart. Right. And, and I think about my grandfather who grew up Catholic. And that guy was like the, uh, my, my idol growing up. He was the nicest guy, did the greatest things for people, living off very limited funds, giving all his money away um, pretty much. And I think to myself, you know, and he was very devout Catholic, very religious. And he died when I was in my 20s. So I never really got to know his heart and whether I really never got to evaluate for myself whether he was a Christian or not. So I, I can't tell you whether he's in heaven or not. You know, because he was of the Catholic faith, to me, doesn't mean anything. It's, it's about your relationship with Christ. So I don't know. Um, I'd like to think that he was walking by the Spirit. <laughs> but as we'll see later um, and, and here, apart from working of the Holy Spirit, our good works, our righteousness are contaminated and, use, and they're useless. But because of we've been cleaned, and because we have God's own divine nature, now we can live that life of holiness. And now we can bring glory to God. Now we can, we can be sanctified, justified, and we can be glorified, as we'll see later. Um, Galatians actually says, because every true believer is indwelt by the Spirit, every true believer will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Jesus actually made clear, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so how do you like that? <laughs> so, and, and he also said in Matthew, um, just you are to be as perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And then he, he quit. He, he got off the, the sermon or he got off the mountain, said, all right, go. And I, I tend to think what, did, what were those people thinking at the end of that sermon? You know, wow. And it's, it's easier to go through the, the eye of, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than, than for, is it, I believe it's a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, just the things that he were, was saying were just like impossible. And he's, what he was drawing an analogy to was the law that was impossible to follow. It really was. Starting in the first commandment. And that analogy is, excuse me, is is really great um, for for understanding what Jesus did. Because that old law could not be satisfied. We could not satisfy it. It, we We couldn't be justified for it. We needed something new. So we as Christians, we can only walk according to the Spirit. If we try to walk by the flesh, meaning if we try to, appease God and justify our, our righteousness through following any of the old law, it's, it's basically impossible. He said all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of, there's not one righteous. Um, we need another way. Um, going into verses 5 through 13, we're going to look at these one at a time. But the, the overall theme here is that the Spirit is what empowers us for the victory. So we've been talking about sin, the problem there. Now we're going to talk more about the Spirit and victory. Verse 5 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. There's an engineering joke. I know there's some engineers in here. There are one, zero, looks like ten, kinds of people in this world. Those who understand binary and those who don't. Anybody get that? Okay, the engineers got it. (laughs) One, zero, in. Uh, the base two system binary um, means two. So there are two kinds of people in the world. But when you write it out, it says there are 10 kinds of people in the world. Anyways, I thought I'd make a joke, just kind of lighten things up because <laughs> this, is, this is heavy stuff. But he's, he's, again, hitting on the fact that there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's only those who are according to the flesh and only those who are according to the spirit. I mean, it, it's very clear here um, And the way I like to see it, and we're going to talk later about being adopted into the family of God, is you're either in the family or you're not. And I know that when I was brought up in my family, um, you know, you can be physically kicked out of it, but you're always going to be part of that family somehow. Um, And and that's the analogy that I like to use when I talk about being in the kingdom of God and the family of God, is God is, is going to be your advocate because he is our father. Verse six says, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Um, I think that's self-evident. We have a spiritual peace when our minds are set on the spirit. And then you have a corollary to that, um, which it's impossible to have a mind set on the spirit, which includes having spiritual life and peace, yet rem- remain dead to the things of God. So if an unbeliever tries to follow the rules of a religion to appease God, they're they're living in a fantasy. Um, They can't do it. Um, And verse 7 expands on that. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So every unredeemed person, every non-Christian, whether they're religious, atheistic, altruistic, whether they're hourly, moral, or wicked, um, is hostile toward God. An unsaved person cannot live a godly and righteous life because he has no godly or righteous nature or resources. We're back where we were in the Old Testament. We're back in the old law, and we just can't do it. Um, his sinful, flesh, fleshy mind does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Even an unbeliever whose life seems to be a model of good works is not capable of doing anything truly good because he's not motivated or empowered by God and because his works are produced by the flesh for self-centered reasons and can never be to God's glory. So I think about guys like Bill Gates. Does anybody here track Bill Gates? You, put, you track Bill Gates? Now that's a great guy and if you just look at what he's doing for... Like because of Bill Gates um, vaccinations in the continent of Africa, where there's a lot of um, yellow fever and dengue and chikungunya and all these things and all these and polio. Uh, one of his goals is to eradicate polio in worldwide. Um, I think it was polio. But anyways, he's, he's got all these initiatives to do all these great things for children, for families. Man, that sounds great, doesn't it? it really does but if you do it without the motive of the spirit and without the motive of bringing glory to God who are you bringing glory to? Yourself or humankind? Um, We'll talk a little bit more about the earth is also condemned people who are trying to save the world bringing glory to the world maybe I mean I'd like to keep the world around as long as we can but you know, unless you're doing it for the glory of God, it's it's um, God doesn't care, and it and it doesn't get us anywhere. So then, verse eight: those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, sounds good. We can move on to verse nine. <laughs> but you who are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, you Luke, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit, right? Good. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit uh, of Christ, he is not his. And that last his is Christ's. So, again, this is just reiterating the same thing over and over. There's only two kinds of people in the world those who are in the flesh or those who are in the Spirit. So, how do you know if you're in the Spirit? Or how do you know if you have the Spirit of God? Um, Paul says. You can be certain of your salvation if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That sounds kind of hard. The word dwells, okio, the Greek word. It actually has the idea of being in one's own home. So God has made his home in us. And we'll see a little bit later that the Spirit of God and our spirit communicate. Um, That's a little bit farther down, but basically our spirits are intertwined somehow, and it's a It's a mystery. But that's really where um, we know because we, I guess, have you ever felt like God's trying to tell you something? Or have you ever felt like you're doing something that maybe God doesn't like or God, God would rather have you do something else? And have you really sought him out and have you heard or just been con- completely convinced that what you're doing is going the, down the wrong road? Or have you felt like, I really need to go this way? I got to say that it doesn't happen to me as often as I would like, but I can say it's happened in my life. And I can say that the way my life has gone, I can see that I've fallen plenty of times. I continue to fall. Uh, Reading this, preparing for me, uh, preparing convicted me of some things in my life. Just, hey, I need to change. I, I I need to be more sanctified. So this was this was absolutely great. And when you leave here, if I've just kind of talked your ear off, I suggest you take, take a couple of days off and read it. Just read it fresh for yourself. Chapter 8 is just, it's the bottom line up front. Uh, we were on verse 9. Let's go to 10, 11. 10 says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So if you remember from Romans chapter 3, we are righteous because... If Christ is in us, he has imparted his righteousness to us through his death on the cross, through what he did. He basically gave himself up. He was that perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled the law, and then he was um, crucified, died, buried, resurrected. And that power of, of um, being in heaven um, is what we, when we say we're redeemed, he's redeemed us through his action, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So again, it was the Holy Spirit who was the divine agent of Christ's resurrection. So that kind of summarizes that. Let's move on to 12 and 13. 12 says, therefore, brethren, and that means other Christians, Other believers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you remember in Ephesians, Ephesians is very similar to this. Chapter 3, Paul talks about how we have the Spirit of God. And he starts with that before he says in chapter 4, verse 1, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So the first thing that Paul does in a lot of his letters is he says, hey, you have the spirit, you have been empowered to follow God. And then a little bit later, he says, okay, do it. So here in verse 12 and 13, he's talking about putting to death the deeds of the body. Um, The flesh, when we're talking about the flesh, it's one writer said, it's the ugly complex of human sinful desires That includes ungodly motives, affections, principles, purposes, words, and actions that sin generates through our bodies. To live according to the flesh is to be ruled and controlled by that evil complex. So this flesh that we have, these bodies that we have, we're stuck with them while we're here. Um, But we can live according to the spirit and we can follow this road of becoming more and more like Christ. And part of that is by completely obeying, being very obedient. Um, There's an Old Testament story of God ordering King Saul to destroy all the Amalekites and all their livestock, to basically wipe them out because these people were sinning against God. But Saul did not completely obey, if you remember. He spared the king and kept the best of the animals. And when the prophet Samuel confronted Saul... Saul the king tried to defend his actions by claiming his people insisted on keeping some of the flocks and those animals so that they could sacrifice them to God. So he may have had a good intention, but he wasn't being obedient. He was being, he, he thought he knew what he should do, or he, he basically tried to cop out of it. He tried to say, well, you know, I was going to tithe off of this, you know, and maybe we need, we need this. We need this livestock to keep going. There's a famine coming. Why don't we just take it? I could see that. Samuel rebuked the king, saying, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. So that right there is really just drawing a line between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And when I say the spirit of the law, I mean the intent what is God really after? And if you look in verse 13 um, and verse 12, he's looking at the heart. He's looking at how we're led, which brings us to verse 14. For as many as were led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we were talking a little bit earlier about, do you feel ever led by the spirit of God? Uh, Do you ever neglect God in prayer? Do you neglect fellowship with God's people? Um, are you careless about your obedience like uh, King Saul? Um, you're probably going to have some doubts about your salvation because you're indifferent to God and the things of God. <laughs> so instead of getting caught up in semantics, just, just follow God. Just, um, and we'll talk more about how you can be confident in your salvation but really if you have any doubts all i can tell you is double down on jesus double down on the fact that he's died for you and that all you really have to do is trust him uh, for to give grace through your faith for your salvation that is really it in a nutshell Um, but if you're not living this life where you're putting away the flesh and you're not moving in that direction, you might want to ask yourself the question, um, where am I? Um, Paul actually admonished the Galatians here. He said, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. Uh, And then later he says, and because we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. So right there you see that there's a battle going on. Your flesh and the spirit are fighting with each other. And so don't be surprised when you are a Christian and you may feel feel like you're, you know, on Thursday you're led by the Spirit and then on Friday you do something that makes you feel really guilty. I remember the church I used to go to, I don't know I hear much about you you saying this, but this uh, the pastor we had was always talking about his road rage incidents. Not where he'd pull out a gun. But he would just get so mad at these people that would cut him off. And then he would, like, leaving church after preaching a great sermon. And I can totally relate to that. Because it's like, there's a lot of days on a Thursday. I'll have this great day. I'll have time in the Word. Uh, this has been great, studying this. And just, I feel so full of, of um, God's Word right now. Um, and I, I do want to continue this life. But, you know, I'm still a, fleshful, a flesh-filled man. I have to admit that. Um, so let's go on to verse 15 for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you read this, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba, cry out Abba father. And Abba basically is a term of endearment, um, means daddy, Papa. Um, so this points back to second Timothy one, seven, um, that the Father has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. Uh, in 1 John, John assures us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Um, so we don't have a spirit of bondage again to fear uh, bondage again to fear, as it says in verse 15. We have a spirit of adoption. That speaks to a lot of y'all here at Alamo Stone. Um, I know that the Flynn's um, fostering, you know, bringing in people to their family. Um, I've had, I'm sure everybody's known people who've adopted. Uh, there's some folks here who are in the process of adoption. Um, that is just um, an amazing, uh, just you're bringing in somebody that you didn't have to, you, didn't, you weren't legally obligated to bring this person in. But you did it anyways. There's a great story in the Old Testament. Um, I can't pronounce it. The crippled son of Jonathan, the sole remaining descendant of Saul's name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I'm trying not to say something I shouldn't when I say that word. Um, (laughs) At least because I'm being recorded. So when King David learned about this kid, he he was crippled. But because he was the sole remaining descendant of Saul, which if you remember the story, Saul wasn't very nice to David sometimes. He actually tried to kill him. Um, David gave him all the land that belonged to his grandfather Saul and honored the son of his dearest friend Jonathan. He had him dine regularly at the king's table in the palace at Jerusalem. That's in 2 Samuel. So in many ways, this this vision of how David uh, treated Mr. M., was and and the way he took the initiative because he didn't have to do that he was the king he did that out of the same heart that god accepts us he didn't have to do it that's the whole point of grace is that god doesn't have to do anything for us but he does so we can say to that abba father i i think verse 16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god um, this is important that the spirit gives witness if in the Roman uh, he's, he's writing to the Romans in that culture um, when the adoption occurred sometimes somebody would actually adopt a son because maybe their, their first born was not uh, they were a prodigal or prodigal they weren't uh, owning up to what they needed to they weren't taking responsibility they would actually adopt somebody to take that place but it took seven witnesses to oversee the adoption. And here you have one overseer. You have the spirit bearing witness that we are the children of God. Um, in 1 John, John offers these words, little children, let us not love with word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know that by this we are of the truth. We shall assure our heart before him and whatever our, our heart condemns us. So this is the evidence. We are truly God's children. So, and, and also, again, when, when we receive the heart of, of um, the spirit, or when we receive the spirit, <laughs> it's basically part of our heart now. Our spirit is conjoined. Verse 17 and 18 talks a little bit more about children and heirs. It says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Wow. That is awesome. So whether consciously or not, every genuine Christian lives in the light and the hope of glory. So we've kind of gone through a process in Romans here in in chapter 8. Verses 2 and 3. We're freed from sin and death verse 4 that enables us to fulfill God's law verses 5 through 11 it changes our nature verses 12 and 13 it empowers us for victory and then 14 through 16 it confirms our adoption as God's children and then as we see as we move forward 17 through 30 the Holy Spirit guarantees their ultimate glory so we were created in the image of God. God is just glory upon glory, this amazing being that created the universe. Before the fall, we were very innocent. We, we had glory, but not to the level we will have later because we have been redeemed. Um, Romans three twenty three says we now fall short of the glory of God. Um, we we were basically like that. The the non-believer tries to do things to gain glory for themselves. I saw some guy the other day. He was wearing this shirt. I mean, he was wearing you know, this is a muscle shirt. And you know, some you can you can tell some people when they really want to be looked at by everybody, they dress a certain way. they they pay very much attention to you know getting all bulked up and having the you know nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But this guy, you could just tell. Um, the thing about it that struck me was he had this big crown on his shirt and it said king and it's like there was nothing about Jesus nothing about God he thought he was the king of something and I think that's what we're talking about here is that we have this nature in our, ourselves for glory and like Bill Gates he is solving the world's problems he is doing really great things for somebody's glory but it's not for God's I have way too many notes. We're, we're mo- I'm going to move this forward a little bit, y'all. Uh, we're going to get some chicken. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Um, the word here, earnest expectation or anxious longing, it's a very vivid word that literally refers to just kind of being on your tippy toes and out, kind of like your dog when you get home from work. Um, just really excited the creation is just waiting uh, for this revealing of the sons of God and what we're talking about here is the creation like not the angels not the demons not the people because but this is everything else verse 20 and 22 through 22 for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly and this is again the creation but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Um, <clears throat> so Paul's saying there's hope for natural creation, that there will be a new heaven, a new earth. Uh, it's actually in Second Peter and in Revelation. Um, death, decay, di- disease, pain, disaster, pollution, all those forms of evil will never cease until the one who sent the curse removes it and creates that. So we can try to um, recycle, we can try to, you know, reduce fossil fuels. All those are good things, I think. Um, But at the end of the day, the way things are going, we can only slow it down. We can't can't stop it. Uh, Entropy is a natural law. It's everything's going to decay in the universe. there, there's nothing we can do about it. There's no way we can stop it. It's a fundamental law. The only, the only being who can stop that law and change it is God. We can't do it. Um, one one uh, writer, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I wonder whether the phenomenon of the spring supplies us with a part answer. Nature, every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. The flowers come out, the trees bud. It has come out of the death and the darkness of all so that it's <coughs> I'm sorry, death in the darkness of all that is so true of winter. In the spring, it seems to be trying to produce a perfect creation, to be going through some kind of birth pains year after year. But unfortunately, it does not succeed. For spring only leads to summer, which I don't know if y'all have checked outside, but it was 103 degrees when I got here. Whereas summer leads to autumn, where everything dies and autumn goes to winter, where everything gets... Well, in some places, it gets piled on with snow. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat the vanity, the principle of death and decay and disintegration that is in it, but it cannot do so. It fails every time. And it still goes on trying, as if it feels things should be different and better, but it never succeeds. So it goes on groaning and travailing and pain together until now. It has been doing so for a very long time, but nature still repeats the effort annually. So you think nature would figure it out, but it just keeps keeps doing it over and over. So now we go into the believers, verses 23 through 25. Not only that, but we have we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, and that's being on our tiptoes, waiting for that. The redemption of our body, because that will come. We will get a new body, a new individual body. We won't all be one physical body. will have our own body in, in heaven. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So first of all, every genuine believer is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We've been hitting that over and over. Um, look back at verse 9. Every genuine believer will to some degree manifest that fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. self-control. <laughs> Every time we see him working his righteousness in and through us, we yearn to be more freed of our remaining sin and our spiritual weakness. Uh, we're, we're groaning within ourselves uh, to be more like that. So, So this is about um, hope and security as well. Um, Hope is, it says, hope that is seen is not hope. So if you see something's going to happen, you can't hope for it because it's already going to happen. It kind of makes sense. Um, But we hope for what we don't see, right? Because we don't see, I mean, we don't see the spirit, really. We don't see it. We don't see God. We don't see Jesus physically sitting right there. Um, but we know it's coming. It's, there's a hope, but there's also a knowledge. Um, let me see here. Hebrews six seventeen through 19 says, In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast in one which enters within veil. So we're going to look at that towards the end of this chapter, but that hope is is an anchor. Uh, I think that's a great analogy. Um, That faith that we have, it's an anchor. Um, The completion... (coughs) Because our hope is based on that promise, the completion of our salvation is more certain by far than anything we can even see with our eyes. Um, And in verse 30, we'll see that the believer's salvation is so secure that glorification, our glorification is spoken of in the past tense, although it's to come. So next couple verses, 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, and because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So my notes on that are we don't really know how to pray. (laughs) Uh, We're weak. Uh, A lot of times we don't know. I mean, it says right here, we do not know what we should pray for. So when you have that Spirit inside you, of the lord and you want to pray sometimes you just have to give it up and say spirit pray for me and just sit there i i've i've yet to try that i think or maybe i've tried it before but i i tend to want to say words i don't know how y'all pray but i tend to want god to hear me and i, I want to make it sound right so that he he's listening but that's not what this says it says the spirit intercedes and the spirit is I mean, we can, we can pray for things. That's not saying you can't, but it's saying that the Spirit does intercede for us. And it is our strength. Um, so verse 28, the certainty of security. And it says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. This, if you don't listen to anything else, this is one to listen to tonight because that one right there, there's a lot of bad things that happen in the world. Um, there's bad things that happen here that we talk about. Things that go on with our families, uh, our situations, our jobs. Um, if you read the news, you'll see some of the bigger things that are out there, but I guarantee you, everybody is, knows somebody and everybody goes through something. I lost my mother a few years ago um, and I try to think, how does that work together for good? Because I love God. Um, I am one of those who is called according to his purpose. Um, and that's the challenge. Not all things seem good. But I think you did something a while back. I think it was a sermon where you had um, it was a piece of paper or something. or I can't remember who preached it. It was, can you, can you write down some times in your life where you had great things happen? And then can you write down some things sometimes in your life where really bad things happen? And then after we did that, whoever was preaching said, Now, when do you feel like you were closest to God? Was it when you were having your highs or your lows? And I remember thinking, oh, man, that's that's very profound. These things that are really bad bring people closer to God. They require us to not lean on ourselves so much or to fall into pride. Like, oh, wow, this is a great sermon, but oh, my gosh, the Spirit better be talking through me because <laughs> um, I've asked him to intercede, and he, and he, and he will. <laughs> um, so this is just fantastic, um, just to be certain that no matter what happens, there is a purpose. And it's a mystery, and a lot of times we won't know exactly what the good was. God doesn't, we, God doesn't owe us an explanation either. Uh, you could pray for an explanation. God God may not give it to you. Uh, look at Job. Um, he just had this, this horrible torment brought on him. Um, and what happened, <coughs> um, Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bam. He didn't say, that person took my job or that boss doesn't understand me or... Uh, That person doesn't understand me or this person was bad to me or uh, my situation isn't right. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. So one of the things that we need to know as Christians is that no matter what happens to us, it's somehow working together for the good of, of those who love God. Uh, 29 and 30 for whom, whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn meaning jesus among many brethren the believers moreover whom he predestined these he also called whom he called he justified and whom he justified he, these he also glorified uh, this is all very certain very clear god knew us at some point um those who do, who were to be conformed to the image of his son. And there's a chain that goes from foreknowing to predestining. Um, so basically we can't initiate it. God initiates the, the communication with us and he initiates uh, the call. Um, and so really all honor goes to him for it's like, who are you going to ask out when you're in high school? Um, God asked us out. And at the end of the day, We are the ones that he glorifies. I have a ton of notes on that, but I'm going to skip them. If you want to hear them, if you want to hear them, come sit down next to me. Uh, Verses 31 through 39. I'm just going to read this real quick so we can move on. This this right here is what I remember reading when I was 20, 21 years old, and thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is incredible." We've pretty much talked about everything. that we need to but 31 through 39 there's some it's sort of rhetorical um it's i imagine him as he would have been a great lawyer the way he just poetically talks about uh the things that we've talked about so i'll I'll just read through it all uh what shall we say to these things these things meaning verses actually probably all of romans up until now if god is for us who is against us He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give all things? That's grace. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? That's us. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Satan is an accuser, but can he condemn us after God has justified us? This this is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ these are all rhetorical questions there's no answer to them because there is nobody shall tribulation distress persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword those are all things that Paul went through in his life and those are all things that you know in some form or fashion we go through just as it is written, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that is also a promise. Um, I don't know where, but it's, it is a promise that we are, me and you are like sheep to be slaughtered. And I've, I can just attest through being an elder here for a few years. <laughs> you know, there are some times where I felt like a sheep going to the slaughter. Um, not a bad thing. It's just, you know, that's life. That's, if you're, if you're going to make a stand for the Lord, uh, the world is, um, is not going to like it. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Overwhelmingly. Wow. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Just that last sentence, he's trying to say, uh, he, he's trying to say death and life. So nothing that's ever lived, nothing that's alive, angels, principalities, uh, things now, things later. I mean, really, no other created thing. God is the only uncreated thing. So really, nothing outside of God. And it already said that God is for us. So this is a slam dunk. If this guy's a lawyer, I'm convinced that that God's for me. I'm part of the kingdom. Um, Yeah, that's that's the story, guys. Um, And just by the way, the love of Christ doesn't refer to the believer's love for Christ, but for Christ's love for the believer. Um, Let me see, what else do we want to talk about? A lot more notes. Um, I'm going to stop there after I say one more thing, two more things. I just want y'all to know I appreciate y'all's patience as I plowed through Romans 8. I feel like that's something that really needs more than 45 minutes or 30 minutes to really get into it. But I hopefully touched on some things that you might have found interesting and maybe convict you to, um, to seek after him and to be part uh, and to have your spirit ask his spirit to intercede I mean if nothing else one practical application we can all take from this today is uh, sometime this week to, um, to try that out try to pray uh, that the spirit would intercede for us because we'd, it obviously says we don't know what we need to pray for so when you're praying for something whether it's Bud Bud the hamster who's been dead for a while that my kids continue to pray for at dinner <laughs> um whether it's that or whether it's you know somebody you know that's going through something whether it's spirits whether it's principalities powers um, things present things to come or just something we don't know it just I, I would encourage you to pray uh, that God would speak to you the spirit would just utter these groanings these um, these prayers to God uh, it's a it's a deep mystery and so that's one reason why I really enjoy this this passage not only because it's the bottom line up front, that we are redeemed. There's a new law written on our hearts that um, that we have the Spirit of God. Really, that is the Spirit, or that is the message, is we have the Spirit of God. Uh, be, be confident, be strong, um, because you have His power. That is it. Um, it's the gospel. And I'll just close with this. It's an unknown verse after this. Um, uh, Kevin, if you want to come up and close us. Um, is this we're not quite sure who who wrote this, but it's it's just a great uh, short poem on on the how the gospel and the law are different. It goes, "Run, John, run! The law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings; it bids me fly and gives me wings. Praise God! Lord, I just thank you for this." Um, this message, pray for the church. Uh, pray for those who are, are sick. Pray for uh, Miss Olga, who's in the hospital. Um, just bless her, help her to get well. Uh, pray for those who are adopting and process of adopting. Pray for those who, are, um, who, who have just things that, that they may not feel comfortable sharing tonight, but, but, um, but that need your peace, need your healing hand. Uh, I pray for those who are looking for direction, that you give it to them, uh, lead them step by step. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, protect us as we go from here, uh, but protect us um, really just in a spirit of, of of family and of hope that we can do your will more. In Jesus' name, Amen.